0: morning church family. It's good good to be with you this morning and this is my week to get back at Darren from a couple weeks ago if you were here and he was talking about Donald and I and and riding on scooters um, in Washington DC. So (laughs) Um, just real quickly we have, um, I just want to remind you of the uh, announcement sheet that we have. They're just right in front here. As you come in the door, you can also scan the QR code, uh, use our app to get the announcements. The announcements. Uh, one thing I do wanna highlight, I just wanna thank you, church family, for um, every single uh, angel was adopted last week. So we can't thank you enough for just your, your generosity and for participating and, and supporting that important ministry. Um, I do have one favor to ask of you is that you would pray for those kids and pray for those families Okay, in, in the coming weeks, and, and just remember them throughout this season, uh, those boys and girls. Well, um, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving holiday with family and friends over, over these last few days. How was your Thanksgiving? Wait, wait a second. I, I didn't ask you how was your Thanksgiving, as in how was your Thanksgiving holiday, I asked you, how is your Thanksgiving? And what I mean by that is, how are you thanking the Lord with your lips, with your life, all of your life, and with your finances, as Darren encouraged us last week in his sermon? How are you doing that? Because, you see, Thanksgiving shouldn't be just a holiday that we celebrate the last Thursday of the month, you know, in November, but it should be like the air that we, we um, breathe in every day as we remember God's grace towards us. And so I ask you again, how is your Thanksgiving? Think about that. So today's the first day of Advent, and as we um, celebrate Jesus' first coming and, and look forward to his second coming, This begins a season where we experience a lot of joy, you know, we spend a lot of time with friends and family, go to endless parties, right, and we eat ourselves silly even after the feast that we just had during Thanksgiving. And we, you know, we sing songs of joy, uh, just like the song that we just sang earlier, um, God rest ye merry gentlemen, and and the chorus says, O tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, Tidings of Comfort and Joy, and I'm not going to sing for you, so don't ask me, okay? I'm not a good singer. Um, there's also the song, We Wish You a Merry Christmas, that says, Glad Tidings We Bring to You and Your Kin. So have you ever wondered what is a tiding? I, I know I have. A tiding is an old English word that means news, and good tidings is good news, So this morning, to kind of jump us into the Advent season and and to get us into a festive Christmas mood, I've got two glad tidings for you, two pieces of good news to encourage your heart and bring you joy today, okay? Are you ready? Here's the first glad tiding. Cheer up. You are worse than you think. Yeah, you heard me right. You are worse than you think, so cheer up. I'm sure you feel a lot better now, right? Doesn't that just, like, warm your heart and, and you know, put visions of sugar plum dancing in your head and, and cozying up to a warm fire on a cold day and, and having a hot cup of, of apple cider? I'm sure it does. You know, we as mankind are... In probably the most desperate situation that we could possibly find ourselves in. And there's absolutely nothing that we can do to do in our own strength to get ourselves out of it. Left to ourselves, our desires, our wants, our plans, we end up in a hopeless situation that honestly doesn't end up well for us. So today we finish up this prayer of Paul in Colossians 9 to 14, that we've been walking through over the last couple weeks. So if you will stand with me, and I want to read this prayer together as a congregation. Okay? And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Let me pray for us. Father, give us the meaning and spirit of your word. As it lies open before us, apply your word with power to our souls. Whether threatening or promise, doctrine or precept, whatever it may be, lead us into the soul and marrow of your word, for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So as we saw in Darren's sermon last week, Paul thanks God the Father for qualifying the believers in Colossae to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And this week, Paul expands on what he means in that verse in 13 and 14. So let's take a deeper dive into these two verses because I think there's a, a wealth of riches that we can be mined um, here. So verse 13 says, that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Paul is explaining in further details how the Father has qualified the Colossians believer to share in the inheritance of the saint in verse 12. And that is by delivering them from the domain of darkness and transferring them into the kingdom of his beloved Son. Now, there are two key things I want you to observe here. The first is kind of this deliverance type language. You know, some Bible translations will use the word rescued instead of delivered. And so this language, when we hear this, it should hearken us back to God's great work of salvation in the Old Testament. This is where God rescues his people, the Israelites, out of slavery and delivers them to the promised land in the Exodus narrative. But here in Colossians, Paul includes himself with the believers in Colossae that uh, God has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. The second thing I want you to notice here is the word domain. What does Paul mean by the word domain here? Because he could have easily used the Greek word for kingdom, which actually makes a lot more sense here, that God has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. You know, that, that seems logical and it actually provides for a nice parallel here, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of his son. But he didn't do that. Why? Why? I believe that there's kind of a, a nuanced meaning here that he's trying to communicate to us by using the Greek word translated as domain. That word that is translated as domain in the English is the Greek word, exousia. Okay? So, stay with me now. I'm going to geek out a little bit with you in the Greek. Okay, I want to just share with you. Exousia is used 102 times in the New Testament. And it's interesting that it is never translated as kingdom in either the ESV or the NASB, which are literal word-for-word translations of the Greek text into the English. Now, just to be fair, um, it is translated in the NIV in Ephesians 2.2 as kingdom, where it says, "...the ruler of the kingdom, exousia, of the air." But in more literal, word-for-word translation, exousia is never translated as kingdom. So out of the 102 times it is used in the New Testament, in 72 of them it is translated as authority, 12 of the 102 times it is translated power. So if my math is correct, which it is, because I worked as an engineer for 18 years, 82% of the time, exousia is translated as either authority or power and the other 18% of the time it's translated with a, a similar range of meaning to authority and power such as right, jurisdiction or control but it's never translated as kingdom in either the NASB or the ESV Bible so the English word domain has this underlying meaning in the Greek of authority and power. And I believe that is really significant. So let me take you back to Genesis, okay? And you're probably thinking, how does Genesis connect to Colossians? So so let me make the connection, so please stay with me. And um, let me just take a minute here because I believe that if you don't read the Old Testament, if you don't study, and if you don't understand the Old Testament, then you're not going to get the New Testament allusions to Old Testament stories and to the language that's being used in the Old Testament. So I want to make a plug for the Gospel Life classes that are immediately right after the service. Um, We are walking through the Old Testament right now, and we have classes for all A trains. There's, There's a class for everyone, so please check out the class right after the service. Go out to the Info Central, and we have information on the Gospel Life classes out there. Okay, so after the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2, where God makes the heavens and the earth and all the creatures of the earth, he creates man and woman, and he puts them in the garden. In his generosity, God tells Adam that he can eat of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we know the rest of the story, right? They eat of the fruit, and so God comes and pronounces judgment uh, on the serpent, the woman, and Adam because of their disobedience, because now sin has entered into God's good world. In the statement the Lord speaks to the woman, there is a word that is often misunderstood. And here's what the Lord says to the woman in Genesis 3.16. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. The word that is often misunderstood is this word desire. Because at first reading, we would think, you know, desire would mean that the woman desires her husband emotionally or desires companionship with him or desires him sexually. But that, you know, doesn't seem like much of a judgment to me, does it to you? Aren't those, like, good and natural things for a woman or a wife to desire her husband, to be emotionally connected to him, to be physically intimate with him, to desire his companionship? Within the context of the narrative, that does not make sense. That interpretation... Um, is something that we need need to be challenged by. But look at what her desire is being contrasted with in this sentence. Her desire shall be contrary to her, her husband, but he shall rule over her. Desire is being contrasted with rule here. In the creation order, God created man first, and then he created woman. And so what that shows is that man is to have authority over woman. Now, let me talk to that for just a little bit, because that authority is not supposed to be abusive or domineering. But it is supposed to be modeled after Christ, because even though Christ was God and had all authority and power, he didn't use his authority authority in that way. He actually submitted himself to the father and he served um, and gave himself up for us. It's a self-serving type of love. So when the Lord said the woman's desire would be contrary to her husband, he is saying that as a consequence of the fall, the the woman wants to usurp the authority that was given to man. Now, if any of you have been married for any time at all, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Um, I know my wife and I have these discussions, okay, over little things, because we want to be the one that's right, and we want to be the one that's in control. But Ephesians 5 tells us that we are to have mutual submission to one another, And, you know, our kids just kind of laugh at us when they hear us having these discussions, right? This similar wording is found in the Cain and Abel narrative just a chapter later where Cain and Abel each bring an offering to the Lord, but the Lord was not pleased with Cain's offering. We're not given the reason why the Lord didn't look favorably on his offering, but listen to what the Lord says to Cain in Genesis 4. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. This is almost the exact same phrasing as in Genesis 3.16. Sin is crouching, and it wants to pounce on us, any chance that it gets. Sin has its foot in the door and it wants to kick that door down. The word desire is once again contrasted with the word rule. Sin wants to have its way with us. Its desire is to have control over us and to make us its slave. But we must rule over it. We must exert authority over sin, control it, and not allow it to have power over us. Mankind's struggle over authority with sin has been going on ever since the fall. So this is what Paul means when he says, he, God the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness. God has delivered us from the authority and power sin has over our lives. We are born slaves to sin, and it has control of every." single aspect of our lives before we believed in Jesus. Paul says so in Romans 6, let not sin reign therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. This theme of power and authority is woven all throughout the scriptures. If you read a little further in Uh, past Genesis, into the book of Exodus, you'll find that God's people, the Israelites, are in slavery to Pharaoh down in Egypt. God sends a deliverer, Moses, to deliver them out of Pharaoh's misuse of authority and power over his people. And just as God redeemed the Israelites out of slavery to Pharaoh by sending a deliverer, he redeems us out of slavery to sin by sending a deliverer his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us on the cross. Because Jesus lived the perfect sinless life and obeyed the will of the Father, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He has now given that to us, that authority and power to us, through the power of his Holy Spirit, so that we can resist being mastered by sin and we no longer need to be slaves to sin. Paul says in Romans 6, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. We don't have to let sin control us anymore. We can have authority over sin by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Now, even though the Israelites had physically been rescued from Egypt, Egypt was still very much inside of them. Not long after they left Egypt, they reminisced and longed for the old lives they had back in Egypt and complained that they they only had manna to eat in the wilderness. Numbers 11 says that, Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. Doesn't that describe us, though? Even though we have been rescued from sin and its power, we can still allow sin to control us. We reminisce and sometimes long for you know, the old life that we had because we thought it was so good back then. We're continually lured back to ease and comfort and pleasure and security, thinking that those things will actually bring us life. We're busy serving ourselves, our desires, our wants, our flesh, but that's not where life is found. The Israelites were delivered from slavery and service to Pharaoh so that they might be slaves to God and to serve and worship him we are delivered from slavery and service to sin and darkness so that we might be slaves to righteousness to serve God and not to serve ourselves. For you were called, it says in Galatians, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. See, the problem is we don't want God's authority over us. We still want to have self-autonomy and we want to have control over what we do because we want to do what we want to do. Even though we have been transferred out of the domain of darkness, we still sit on the thrones of our lives and we decide what we want to do. Let me ask a question, how's that going for us so far? I mean, when I look at my own life, whenever God has allowed me to do what I want and to control my life and to manipulate, you know, my situation, it doesn't turn out well for me. We need to die to ourselves and stop serving the desires of the flesh and begin serving and worshiping him because that is where life is found. It's not found in doing whatever you want. So cheer up. You are worse than you think you are. That's the first good tiding of joy that I bring you today. How are you doing so far? Don't you just feel joyful and in the Christmas spirit right now? <laughs> so here's the, the second glass, glad tiding I want to bring you today. And right about now, you're thinking, no, no thanks. Don't want any more where that came from. But here's the second one, because you really don't have a choice, do you? You have to just sit here and listen. So are you ready? Okay, wait for it. Cheer up, you are worse than you think. That's the first glad tiding. But cheer up, the gospel is far greater than you can imagine. The gospel is far greater than you can imagine. That's the second glad tiding. Where sin increases, grace abounds so much more. That's what the second half of verse 13 and all of 14 tells us. That God has delivered us from the domain, the control and the power and the authority of sin and darkness, and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. It is through God's beloved Son that we have redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. And I want you to ponder that for a moment. The same power that Jesus was raised from the dead is at work taking us out of the domain of darkness, the authority and power of darkness, and transferring us into the kingdom Of his beloved Son. In Ephesians 1, Paul thanks God for this power. It says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So there are two implications here for us, and for those of us who have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son. The first implication is that we are no longer under the authority and control of darkness, but we have now been moved to another kingdom under the authority of someone else. That someone else is Jesus. Look at the Ephesians verse that we just read. God the Father has raised his Son to a position of ultimate authority and power at his right hand. The authority is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Church, that is authority over all things for all times. Could Paul be any clearer than that? But then he does. He makes it clearer. He goes on to say, God the Father put all things under his, Jesus' feet, and gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body? That's us, church. That's those who have name have claimed the name of Christ. It's those who have placed their trust in Jesus, and because we are under his authority, we are to submit and to worship him. Here's the second implication: is that we are now sons and daughters. You see, not everyone is a son or a daughter of God. Because oftentimes you'll hear this phrase, you know, all people are children of God. But that is so unbiblical. I don't know if you've ever thought about that phrase. Yes, we are all created, we're all creatures, creations of God, and we are precious because we are created in His image and we have incredible worth. But we are not all God's children. God makes it, or John makes it really clear in his gospel. In John one, it says the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did, own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God. So what does it mean to be in the kingdom of his beloved son and what does it mean to be a son or daughter now? I want to look at two verses that help kind of to shape our thinking our ways of being and, and how we behave as his sons and daughters. The first is in Romans 8. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. The second is in Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now here are just some of the privileges that we see in these two verses of being sons and daughters, of, of being heirs with Christ and no longer slaves. And it should be listed up here. One, we have a new identity as sons and daughters and are no longer slaves to sin. We no longer must be in bondage to people's rules our own, or others. We have freedom in Christ to not live in fear because we are loved by the Father. Because we are loved by the Father, we can risk all for him. We are learning to trust our Father knowing he is good and he's for our good. Because God delights in us, we don't have to earn his approval. We have the deposit and power of the Holy Spirit in us to help us not live out of our old lives. We have been adopted into a family and have a place and a people we belong to. And I I love the biblical language of adoption because it's really the picture of the gospel. God has delivered us out of the domain of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. He has called those who are not my people, my people, as we studied, as some of us have studied in the book of Hosea in our Gospel Life classes. And we are not only called my people, but he calls us sons and daughters and heirs with Christ. Since we have been adopted as sons and daughters by our Heavenly Father, it means that we are no longer orphans. John says in his Gospel in 14.18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, as, as many of you know, um, Pastor Darren and Pastor Jason have adopted you know, precious, beautiful girls from China. And I know a number of you are looking at adopting. You are fostering children. Um, you are doing respite for foster families. And those are some really hard, difficult places. And it can be physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually taxing. In talking with Darren and Jason, you know, it hasn't been easy for them. And they've even questioned if, you know, they've made mistakes because some days are are just really hard. And, you know, they've they've even uh, wondered if the Lord was speaking clearly to them when they decided to adopt. So this is what I asked both of them. What are some of the fears that Jade and Nora face and continue to struggle with because they were orphans? How do they act out of those fears? And here's what they told me. They fear rejection and punishment. They get angry or have fits of rage. They feel unworthy to be loved. They feel they have been abandoned, and lose their family, and lost their family. They may get anxious, fearing the lack of basic needs. They can be performance-driven, trying to look good, to do the right things, and to be right. They may get rebellious, or have a defensive posture. It's hard for them to take risks because they fear failure. They may become ungrateful, complaining, or bitter, and they have a hard time trusting others. So even though Nora and Jade have been adopted into loving families with two parents, and their families just deeply love and care for them and want to provide a safe place for them where they belong and where trust can be rebuilt again, sometimes the girls want to run back to their old lives and act out of what they've known before. But I want you to consider for a minute, isn't this exactly how we sometimes act with our Heavenly Father? Even though we have been transferred out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son, we still act like orphans? We act out of our old mindset, our old habits, our old lives? just like Jade and Nora still sometimes do. And we are just like the Israelites when they wanted to go back to their old lives in Egypt. In what way do we do this? Let me give you some examples. We feel unworthy to be loved because of dark chapters in our past. We despise ourselves and others due to sinning and being sinned against by others. We get angry because we feel like God has abandoned us when we're struggling. We are not thankful for what we have and feel anxious that our blessings might be taken away from us. We find it very difficult to be generous towards others. We rebel when we don't get what we want and get defensive when others try to lovingly correct us. We can't step out and take any risk because we fear that we will fail, and if we fail, we will look bad, and no one will like us. We distrust people because we have been deeply hurt by others and don't feel accepted. These are all ways the Israelites felt because though they had left Egypt, Egypt was still very much inside of them. And just like them, these are ways that we often feel. Even though we have been rescued out of the domain of darkness, we are still not yet trusting and resting in our Father's deep love and care for us as his sons and daughters. J.I. Packard said this in his book, Knowing God, Adoption is a family idea conceived in terms of love and viewing God as Father. In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship and establishes us as his children and heirs. Closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. To be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. Did you get that? To be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father, is greater. Now, I want you to look at this list again. It'll be back up there. And I want you to ask yourself these questions. How do I sometimes act like an orphan, even though I know intellectually that I have been taken out of the kingdom of darkness or the domain of darkness, and I am now in the kingdom of his beloved Son, and I am a son or daughter of God? How am I living out of fear and disobedience? I know this list is long, but it just starts to scratch the surface, and these are things that we really need to be confronted by. That is why today I bring glad tidings for this Advent season. I bring tidings of great joy. So cheer up. The gospel is far greater than you can imagine. Amen? We need to be reminded of the gospel every day. Every day of our lives, and not just when we first believed. We need to be reminded that sin no longer has authority over us, but Christ has given us authority over sin. And we don't have to be ruled by it any longer. We need to be reminded that we belong to God as sons and daughters and to live out that identity and not act like orphans. He has given us the power of the Holy Spirit and raised Christ from the dead in order to do this and has not left us to ourselves. Earlier this month, it's still November, um, our women's ministry held, to get, held a, uh, of eating evening together. And they had a wonderful time of, of worship and sharing and hearing from Paige Floyd and Linda Lamp just about how to abide in Christ in seasons of life. And there was a lot of prayer and, and um, worship and, and um, just over that evening that it would be a blessing. Well, my wife Shelly came home after the event and she was so excited about something that had happened that evening, and, and she could hardly you know, wait to share it with me, because as she barged in the door, she started talking about a million miles an hour. So I asked her to write it down in her own words so that I could share it with all of you. At the very end of the evening, everyone made a large circle, joined hands, and prayed. I thought the evening was over, but I quickly realized that the evening was not over yet. The Lord was still working, He had more blessings in store. Immediately after the closing prayer, I turned to a younger woman on my right. I didn't know her, so I introduced myself and asked her a few questions to get to know her a bit. This woman's name was Crystal, and she immediately told me that she had felt very emotional throughout the whole evening. The Lord gave us an instant connection, and Crystal began sharing her heart with me. We pulled a couple chairs over to the corner to continue talking. Crystal shared that although she had attended our church in the past, she never had made a definite decision to give her life to Christ and become his child. I asked her if she believed that Jesus had died for her sins and rose again. She did. I asked her if she wanted to follow him to be his child. She responded, yes, but I don't know how. I explained that she could do that simply by praying and telling the Lord that she knew she was a sinner and that she believed Jesus and that she wanted him to be her Savior and Lord. I asked, would you like to do that right now? Crystal said again, yes, but I don't know what to say. I encouraged her to just talk to the Lord in her own words. We bowed our heads to pray. It was quiet. Then Crystal said she just didn't know how to pray and said she would prefer to have me lead her in prayer. Which I did. What a joy to pray with her. After we said amen and looked up, Crystal immediately smiled and said, I just felt something happened in my heart. I agreed. There was so much joy All of a sudden, I just couldn't keep it in for one second. I had to share this amazing news. I looked for anyone to share this with. Several women were working on clearing the tables and cleaning up. I called, Tara, Tori, come here, guess what? This is Crystal, and she just gave her life to Christ. Jasmine, come meet Crystal. This is our new sister in Christ. Soon there was a group of women surrounding Crystal, laughing, hugging, and praising the Lord. Now, this is glad tidings, amen? I came home full of joy and immediately began praying that the Lord would not allow Satan to try and steal the word planted in Crystal's heart. The next morning brought more joy. I received a text from Crystal telling me that she woke up early and all she wanted to do was go buy a Bible, which she did. Thank you, Lord, for the beautiful true story. Thank you for all the people you have used to love and plant seeds of faith in Crystal's life. Thank you for our new sister in Jesus. May you bless and keep her always. Amen. That's from my wife. And I remember when Shelly came home, she was like so giddy. It was like a child on Christmas morning. She was so excited and couldn't hardly wait to share, you know, the joy with me. But church, that is where life is found. When the Lord uses you to share the love of Jesus with someone so that they are taken and they are rescued out of the domain of darkness and sin and transferred into the kingdom of his dear, beloved son, there's no bigger thrill in life than that. So, my question to you is, where are you this morning? Where are you as we begin this Christmas season? Have you received the glad tidings that Jesus, in his first advent, came to live a perfect life, to die for your sins, and to rise again on three days, to deliver you from the domain of darkness, and transfer you into the kingdom of his beloved Son? Have you ever made the decision like Crystal did to place your trust in Jesus and what he did for you on the cross and follow him? That is where true joy is found. To be free from the authority and power of sin and to be under the authority of the one who loves and cares for your soul. It's not found in presence on in presents that you get on Christmas morning, or doing what you want to do, but to know that you are beloved son or daughter of the king. So cheer up. You are worse than you think. But cheer up. The gospel is far, far greater than you can imagine. Would you bow your heads with me? As we sing, I want to extend that same invitation to you that my wife Shelly extended to Crystal several weeks ago. I love how Crystal was brave enough to say, I want to give my life to Jesus, but I just don't know how, what to do, or what to say. Let us help you pray and come into the kingdom of light and peace and joy you won't be an orphan ever again. If you have never placed your trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, we have people up front here that would love to talk with you and pray with you, just like Shelley did with Crystal. And so I would ask our prayer counselors, our elders, our pastors to come up front. Maybe you're already in the kingdom of God, but you've been feeling a bit more like an orphan lately. I invite you to come up also and let us pray with you. Maybe you are a son or daughter of the king, but you've run back to your old life, to your old ways of living and doing things and haven't been following him faithfully. Or perhaps something or someone is heavy on your heart right now. There's something powerful that happens when we humble ourselves and just ask for prayer. You see, we need each other. So right now, come up for prayer no matter what is on your heart this morning. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would be at work right now, just revealing our hearts to ourselves and where we are with you. And I pray that um, you would do a great work in each of us as we are confronted with these truths. And you would give us the boldness to step out and to come and to seek you and to, to pray. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.